This is the Discipline Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Eric All right, well, the show's never going to stop. We're never going to give up. We've been doing it for so long. Why stop now? Here's another edition of the Decibel Geek Podcast, the Quarantine Sessions, Volume 5. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my awesome friend and kick-ass co-host, Chris Sinzak. How's it going, brother? Good, Mr. Camaro. How are you? Uh, very well, very well. Thank you. Yeah, we're uh, struggling through this shit together every week, but... Uh been fun doing the show it's been cool doing it this kind of new format so like we were going to change after episode 400 and well thanks to mother nature we're changing anyway right <laughs> <laughs> yeah again as i look across the room there's nobody sitting at the decibel geek table with me and chris is at home where he belongs you know staying safe and closed up and we're going to just do like we did the last couple of weeks you know we got some great questions that were given to us by the listeners and people that check us out on facebook and all these good things and we're going to go through all these and talk about them and converse we got an awesome special guest and at the end of the show we're going to do another edition of beat the geek yeah let's hope i do better this time i was going to say man you better turn this around otherwise it's going to just we're going to have change it and be like hey who wants to come on and whip chris sinzak's ass well, it's called Beat the Geek, so it makes sense, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, we don't have a member of Growing Up Rock this week, so I have a, a better level of confidence. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Maybe. You never know. Well, I guess before we get to all the fun and the lockdown festivities today, we got to take care of our business. You know us. We love them. Facebook reviews, recommendations, iTunes, you name it. We'll take it wherever you can leave them for us. Podchaser, all that good stuff. And since you've got so much free time on your hands, right, every so often you're probably looking around going, gosh, I'm so bored, you know, there's nothing to do. I'm just stuck at home. Next time that happens to you, take a moment and go, you know what? I got time to go leave a review or recommendation for one of my favorite podcasts, the Decibel Geek Podcast. Because as I look at it right now, we don't have any. So it's all wide open. You guys leave as many as you want. <laughs> yeah, because I, I can't be in the presence of Aaron to give him tissues if we don't get reviews. So, you you, you know, everything hinges on you guys. So you I know. My, my wife's going to come back one of these days and be like, what happened to all the toilet paper? I'll be like crying with a big wad of toilet paper around me. And she'll be upset because you can't get that shit no more. Yeah, that's another reason to leave a review. There's a toilet paper <laughs> shortage, and Aaron can't dab his eyes, so... Come on, guys. Everything hinges on you. Yeah, for sure. Well, we didn't feel the love from the reviews and recommendations this week, but we definitely felt the love from our people that shared and retweeted last week's episode, Quarantine Sessions Volume 4, and those people are awesome, and that's why they are Geeks of the Week. Yep, Geeks of the Week this week are Mike Grabowski, Bach Oakovers and Fire Podcast, James McElhenney, Joseph Capone, James West, Kristen Schimbeck, Sean Geek Podcast, Brant Cattell, Mark Alden-Taylor, U2 Cast, Freeform Rock Podcast, Kevin Williams, Simon Cat, Mikhail Burrell, Scott Crouch, Todd Cunningham, Thor Bjorn Olson, Aaron Baker, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Brad Schick, Steve Wright, David Glenn, Sit and Spin with Joe, Paul Korn, Andrew Jacobs, J.J. Mack, Quick 2321, Stephen Michael, Jeff Taylor, Eladio, David Kathy, Sonny Pony, Ernesto Aguiar, Focus on metal, and as always, the, the Mooger Fooger. All right, those are our people, our good, good friends. Like I said, all you got to do is share or retweet this week's episode, Quarantine Volume 5, and you will become an honorary Geek of the Week, 
on next week's episode, and you'll hear your name listed among these awesome and prestigious people. Yep, yep, yep. And we have a uh, another great guest this week. The quarantine sessions are good for one thing. We're at least getting to talk to our other podcasting friends that are quarantining in other parts of the world. And when you talk about other parts of the world, man, this guy is on the other side of it. That's right. Victor Ruiz from Mars Attacks joining us from Spain. Victor, how's it going? Not bad. How are you folks? We're sheltering in place, my friend. <laughs> I I think I got I have you guys beat by a little in that department. Yeah, how are what's the situation in Spain right now with this mess? Uh more or less the same as it has been since uh the 13th of March. Unless you're considered an essential worker, uh, can leave the house to go to the doctor, go to the pharmacy, go to the food market, walk your dog for about five minutes, or take care of someone elderly or a child. Unless you fall under any of those categories, uh, if you are found out, uh, you are fined and or arrested. Wow. Wow. That's crazy, man. So. Are the the cases going down, or is it about the same as it has been? It's about the same. I mean, mm. they're they keep touting. Well, you know, there's uh, from one day to another, there were, there have been less cases from the day before, and then you know, 24 hours will pass, and all of a sudden you'll have you know more deaths, but less uh, people you know being admitted into the hospital with with new cases. So it's kind of an ebb and flow. Um, they've started announcing, you know, that they're going to allow people with, uh, that have kids and that are stuck at home to, um, to be able to go out with their kids and whatnot. But, you know, there's going to be stipulations with that as well. Um, there's only going to be a, a one parent or one kid per parent and you got both the parents and kids have to wear masks and, and gloves and you have to, you know, social distancing and you can't leave the house for for more than an hour um us personally we don't have a problem because we have a yard so you know our kids can go out and run around and raise hell in and out of the house um so that's not a problem but you know i understand there's a lot of people that are cooped up in you know apartments and whatnot that don't have the same luxury so right man shitty times man shitty times absolutely all right. Well, we spent you know two minutes on coronavirus, and I think that's probably enough for everybody. So, are we ready to get into the get into the show? Yeah, I'm sick of that. <laughs> all right. So, we got uh, questions from all three platforms. Of course, not very much on Instagram, and one question on Twitter, and then the rest is Facebook. So, that's pretty much how it goes for us. Yeah, we're a Facebook right. kind of show. Yeah, pretty much. We do try on the other social media, so you know, follow us on those and, and check us out. But uh, yeah, we have uh, Instagram first. Aaron, are you reading or am I reading this week? Um, I guess I got them all right here, and I just got the laptop open. I'm looking at them. You want me to go ahead and do it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so this first one is from Instagram, and it comes from Rano Reb. How can you do 400 episodes and not get an interview with a member of LA Guns? Still putting out great music, and the current version is tearing it up on the road. It's a good question. It is a good question. Yeah, especially considering LA Guns has had like 375 members. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. You know, it shouldn't be hard to track down at least one of them. I don't know. That's a really good question. I guess because they don't come around here too often, and you know, we kind of like to do stuff in person 
preferably. Yeah. But, I mean, since we've been having so much fun with these quarantine sessions, I don't see why in the future we can't do more more phoners, you know. We're getting better at it, I think. This is good practice. Yeah, we've gotten better at it. But, uh, yeah, it is kind of surprising that, you know, of all the people we've interviewed, not one of them has been one of the huge, you know, huge number of members of that band. But certainly not for a lack of appreciation for them. We both love L.A. Guns. Oh, definitely. We've. We've definitely talked about him enough over the years, and as a matter of fact, we almost had Adam Hamilton, I think, at one time I was talking to about coming on the show, and I think we were talking about maybe doing an Albums Unleashed on Waking the Dead, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, just like so many others, you know, you just the show keeps going every single week, so it's hard to kind of schedule these things, and uh, we talked about it and never ended up really doing it. But I know he's like, I know he's a good fan of the show, and uh, I'm sure he'd do it. Yeah, probably. Uh, Victor, have you on. ever interviewed a LA Guns member? I have not interviewed a member of LA Guns, but uh, similar uh, to you guys, I absolutely love the band and actually think that. Um, uh, the album they put out last year, um, heck, was it called Devil You Know? No, that's the Heaven and Hell album. No, they got it called The Devil You Know. It is The Devil You Know. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that was one of my favorite albums that came out last year. So had a lot of good stuff on it. Yeah, mine too. I liked it a lot. So I guess the answer to the question is, is that L.A. Guns hates podcasts. Because <laughs> we're not alone. <laughs> oh, man. Good question, though. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Here's another one from Instagram. Comes to us from brian chambers and the question is what's a band you love now but you hated in high school because it wasn't your scene and wish you'd have paid more attention to i was an early metal guy kiss cooper ozzy even maiden hell i was even into rap and break dancing so punk and thrash was uncool i refused and missed out on bands like metallica suicidal tendencies and social distortion you guys got any like that bands you appreciate now that you didn't like when you were young oh yeah yeah i got um, a ton of them well the, the two two of the ones that come to mind are are now two of my favorite bands two of my top five favorite bands ever and one is the ramones and the other one is thin lizzy I know at the time in high school, all I ever knew of Thin Lizzy was the boys are back in town. And that song drove me nuts, Um, especially down here in Nashville. That song got played to death on classic radio. And just, you know, as growing up as a high school kid in the early 90s, it was about as far from cool as you could get to like that song. And I hated it then. And it's one of those things as I got older, I suddenly listened to more of the catalog. Okay, I get it now. And then the Ramones. I was I grew up on all the shredding guitar players. I was into Jason Becker, Paul Gilbert, all the shrapnel artists, all that stuff. So, you know, the Ramones is about as far removed from that scene as you can get. And you're just a lot more narrow minded in high school. So the and so I never really gave the Ramones even a passing thought in high school and much to to my regret now because I've missed like at least two chances to see them live. So yeah, those are the two that come to mind right away. Victor? I, I was lucky enough to see the Ramones live, actually. Nice. But uh, yeah, here's here's one that's going to drop uh, probably both of your mouths right now and more than one listener. But uh, this is a band that I absolutely hated uh, with a passion because they were a local band for me in New Jersey. And they had the ever-living shit played out of uh, a bunch of ballads and a bunch of um, – other songs on the local radio, Eddie Trunk, and, and all these years later, I found out that I had actually heard the first 
album because Eddie Trunk had played them so much that he had, uh, you know, played the album at one time or another, played every track off of it. But the band is Skid Row. Um, I hated them because, again, you got to love these guys. They're from New Jersey. I don't. I preferred <laughs> listening to, you know, um, Overkill and Misfits and stuff like that or Smithereens. Um, but uh, a few years back, uh, around the time that I turned 40, I was like, yeah, you know what? Um, I, I don't want to be one of these guys that whose midlife crisis is uh, stepping out on their wife or, 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 or buying an expensive car that I can't afford. Let me give some of these bands that I never listened to in the past a <laughs> shot and see if I like them or not. And Skid Row was one of them. And actually, uh was funny. The other day I was, for, for due to the fact that I was running out of space on my phone, I was deciding what I was going to keep and what I was going to take off. And Skid Row was one of the bands that made the cut to stay on the phone. So. Nice. Wow. What about you, Aaron? Man, I've always loved Skid Row. Um, yeah, I'd put Thin Lizzy up there for sure. Because same as you, I only heard those one or two songs and never really liked them. And then through the show, I've like thin lizzie's opened up to me and i love that band um trying to think of some others like i guess there's so many you know like bands like winger you know i remember winger you didn't want to like them because they seemed like they were for the girls you know but now i go back and say okay let me listen to this for the music and i dig a lot of it um what else? I love hate was a band. The first time I heard love hate, I like, ah, oh, this guy's voice, you know, I can't stand it. And then as I got a little bit older, like even before doing the show, I go back to it and be like, man, it's not that it's bad or weird. It's just that it's so unique. And then to really listen to it and the music, I love hates a band that I like a lot. And, uh, you know, even, uh, what else? I didn't really like Megadeth when I was young. I didn't really like Judas Priest when I was real young. Um, wow. Except was a band I never really got into. I only knew Balls to the Wall, you know, and I was like, wow, this guy, he's just screeching. But now I own all kinds of Accept albums, you know, and I dig it all a lot. So over the years, I mean, I guess it's a maturity thing. And like Victor said, kind of a, you know, you, your mind opens to things the older you get. And so, yeah, I could, I could sit here for an hour and probably think of more and more and more. Wow. I'm shocked that you didn't like Love, Hate at first. I assume you fell in love with them the minute you heard them. Yeah, my buddy Jason had a cassette tape, and he played it for me, and I was like, oh, I don't like that. Don't play that no more. And then after Ooh. a while, he kept playing it and kept playing it, and then eventually I opened up to it because I'd heard it so much that I started to appreciate it, and it wasn't so much of a thing of me fighting against it. That's like... Uh, like Guns N' Roses and Metallica even, you know, being a KISS fan in junior high when that stuff's coming out and all of a sudden one day everybody loves Guns N' Roses. But I'm still wearing my KISS and my Fraley's Comet t-shirts, you know. And then next day, like, everybody loves Metallica, you know. And it's like, oh, man, I don't want to like these bands because everybody else does. But with both <laughs> bands, you got to accept it eventually. You know, you finally have heard enough of it where you go, well, you guys, you know, I might have to listen to you guys tell me, you know, screw Kiss, you know, Metallica. You know, I'd be like, ah, screw you guys. But then deep down, <laughs> I knew that Metallica was damn good and that I liked it, but it was hard to admit it. And that was the same with GNR. Yeah, I guess in the in the late 80s, early 90s, it was easy to be a nonconformist if you were a Kiss fan. <laughs> <laughs> nonconformist with a K. 
That's right. There you go. All right, let's see what else we got here. Um, from KissFan037, what piece of Kiss merchandise doesn't exist but should? Um, I'll say the Kiss cock ring spelled with a K, of course. <laughs> I don't know if I'd purchase one of those. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying for me. I'm just saying it <laughs> Well, here's the tough thing about that question is that everything that can have Kiss on it already does. That's right. why I had, I had to go to a cock ring to come up with something. <laughs> it's the well, only what thing a, left. What about Hair Club for Men wigs uh, a la um, uh, Gene and Paul? Well, they, they wouldn't sell because look at the examples. <laughs> <laughs> well, with, with Paul, at least you have two different examples that he showcases all the time. You could you could be Paul on stage or Paul off stage. I don't know any serious answers. I can't think of nothing offhand. You know, like I said, there already is everything with Kiss. Oh, um, I would I would want the um, Hamer Scarab that uh, he that Paul Stanley has in the Heavens on Fire video. How about that? That's a great guitar. I'd, and that's a that actually is good. And I'm surprised they haven't done this yet. I know Paul and Gene sell. You know the guitars they currently play, but if mm-hmm. Kiss would come out with like a brand of different guitars th- through Kiss's history, like replicas, because Bruce Kulick did that with some of his uh, guitars from the '80s. I mean, could mm-hmm. you imagine if Gene and Paul did an AC? Or well, with Ace, it's just going to basically be one model. <laughs> but um, imagine with uh, Gene and Paul with like all the different guitars from the '70s and '80s that they played. I think those would sell like hotcakes. That would be pretty could, cool. Yeah. With Ace, they tried doing the Washburn as well, but he wouldn't get behind it. I saw, um, and I'm talking about 10, 15 years ago, I saw prototypes of Washburns that were carbon copies of the one that you know they made for him in the 80s that he's using in the Into the Night video. But again, he didn't like the guitar, so he wouldn't get behind it, and... I saw them sold on eBay, and you know there was maybe like ten, fifteen made, and that was it. Well, have you ever? I mean, have, no, there's maybe they made more than ten or fifteen of them. Because I, I got to strum on one at a friend's house. God, must have been twenty years ago. Have you ever played one of those guitars? I've never played one, but I got to see them when they only came out in the '80s at a local um, music store. Well, but I, I, I never actually got to play one. I got to play one through a half stack, and let me tell you, that guitar sounded like garbage. It sounded terrible. So, in other words, um, when that guitar plugged in, the only thing that it, the, the only sound that it made was "ack." Yeah, no, "ack" would have been an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. All right. That's a tough question. Um, let's see. Here's our lone Twitter question. It comes to us from Ernesto Aguiar. Which concert would you risk going to if seeing the show was happening? Like if there was a show <laughs> happening right up the street right now, what band would it be that would have to pull you out of your uh, self-quarantine? Uh, the Beatles with John Lennon alive and George Harrison alive, because then I would know I was dead already, and it would be safe to go. <laughs> I was just going to say, if Ugly Kid Joe was playing a show in the United States and it was right up the road, I'd take my chances. You really would? Yeah, I would. Oh, you're brave. <laughs> That's only I, because, I you say- know what, That's maybe maybe the only chance I ever get to see him again before I'm dead. Either way. 
<laughs> well, that 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 would be a uh, like um, a quick segue because you could possibly obtain both in like one night, a show and uh, you know, punching out. Um, I don't know. At, th- at this point in time, I would have to have. Uh, and I always fuck the name up. Is it uh, uh, Primrose Way? What, what was the name of your band, Chris? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> God, you and Josh Toomey. Leave me alone about my old band. Uh, you guys would have to. You guys would have to be playing at the um, the, the the local fair here, which is like uh, a thirty second walk for me. Uh, you guys would have to be playing there. That would be the only way that I would that I would venture out. And uh-huh. since that's impossible, you know, that's that's the only show I'd go to. Yeah, well, as bad as we were, like the only way we could play like a fair would be if they paid us in corn dogs or some shit like that. <laughs> so, well, it would be more likely they'd they'd pay you in uh, in churros. <laughs> yeah, in Spain, I guess. Yeah. yeah. All right, on to the Facebook questions. This one comes to us from Dan Chaput, and he asks: Would the first three Kiss albums have been better if they were recorded as heavy and with the tempo as Kiss Alive? Or are they classic just the way they are? Oh, 100% yes, because I always go to the Alive versions when I want to listen to any of those songs for the most part. Yeah, 100% yes. Um, I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say no. Um, as much as I wish uh, Hotter Than Hell had better production on it, there's just something about the feel of the way that some of those songs sound and and also especially with hotter than hell and with um uh dress to kill there's a bunch of songs that I love uh, I know one of them that Mr. Sinzak especially hates um <laughs> that that never got on alive so um and, al- and also reason. from dress what's that I said for good reason <laughs> well, and here's the other thing with, with Dress to Kill is one of my favorite albums by them. Um, just listening to it, if you really get a chance to listen to it and listen to the intricacies in the guitar playing and hearing how, you know, there's overdubs of like acoustic guitar and there's a bunch mm-hmm. of different things going on where it makes it like a little bit more stonesy than some of the other albums. Uh, mm-hmm. There's stuff like that that isn't on Alive. And yes, there's overdubs on Alive and whatnot, but it isn't exactly the same thing. So, playing That's devil's advocate, I'd say no, and and we have uh, multiple cool renditions of some of these songs. So there you go. I like that. I'm going to change my vote. I'm going to change my vote to what Victor said. <laughs> <laughs> Benedict Arnold. Uh, <laughs> all right, here's a good one from Paul Corn. He wants to know teenage and current celebrity crushes, even the oddball ones. Chris, what were your high school and I guess teenage celebrity crushes. Uh, teenage, uh, well, before even before teenagers, Alyssa Milano for sure. Yeah. I remember I had a big thing for her. Um, Samantha Fox, I had uh, I had a full size door poster of her. Uh, Heather Thomas from The Fall Guy had a thing for her. Oh, yeah. And then currently, I would say it's not really that current now, but. Christina Hendrickson, who was uh, Joan on Mad Men. I love redheads because I'm married to one. So, yeah, I would go with that one. 
No Kathy Ireland, huh? I'm surprised. Oh, oh yeah. No, I loved Kathy Ireland back in the day. <laughs> yeah. a, I'm not limiting it, believe me. There's plenty. Uh, Victor? Yeah, I, I I think you pretty much covered the the gambit of, of everyone that's like our age with what was like the in thing. I, I would say, I don't know, may, maybe in the 90s, stuff like uh, Pam Anderson, Carmen Electra, and yeah. I mean now, um, Margot Robbie probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's pretty cute. I don't know about now, but definitely when I was younger, I'd say all the women that were on Exposed. <laughs> definitely the all the chicks from Kiss Exposed. And, Cut uh, her out. And Lita Ford. Lita Ford was always oh. like what I thought. When I see pictures of her in the magazines or pictures of her on album covers and stuff, to me that was like that was what the ultimate my ultimate woman would be. When I was a teenager, like, oh, man, you know, someday I got to find me a rock chick like this, you know. By the time I grew up to find one, there weren't any. Oh. <laughs> well, and um, you remind me about rock chicks. Um, and one that I I still regret not telling her when we interviewed her was Jan Kuhneman from Vixen. Yeah, right on. Yeah, she was, she was beautiful back in those days. All right, let's see. That's a good one. Um, bands besides Kiss that should have retired to maintain their musical integrity from men play. How much time do you have? Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, I mean, with Kiss, it's one of those things that's like, did Kiss have integrity past 1978 in the first place? I mean, I, mean, I, I love Kiss, and I always will, but, I mean... I don't know. And that's well, generous. The well, 78's re- really generous because, I like, mean, past, past rock and roll over practically. You know how many times I've seen people that, like, Kiss fans, like, going back to the 80s, it would be like, oh, they've gone too far this time. I won't be a fan anymore. And then you see them at the next show. Um, <laughs> that, that's Kiss fans for you. And, hell, I'm just as bad. I went to the end of the road tour after I swore I wouldn't go. Yeah, you did. Um, and had a good time, too. <laughs> I had a good okay. I'll say I had a good time, not a great time, but I, I had a good time. Um, I had a good time hanging out with you and, and our friends. Not so much the show, but uh, I don't know. Um, uh, who is it? Re- well, one that one that wised up recently um, and made a change was Meatloaf. I don't know if you guys have heard Meatloaf in the last ten years, but he uh, he had been doing stage shows and Paul Crook, who actually was the guitar player. For Anthrax right. during yeah. during the Volume Eight period that Victor and I like so much, um, he's his touring guitar player and musical director. And Meatloaf over the last ten years, his voice has just taken a dive, and so much to the point where even he finally realized and wised up. And what he does now, it, which is an interesting concept, and I think you're going to see more of this, is when he does a show, he's there. But there's a, a kid who was on American Idol, and his name's escaping me right now, but he had a voice similar to Meatloaf, and they've got him doing singing the songs, and in between songs, Meatloaf comes out and has like a little like editorial thing where he tells the audience like the history of the song and everything, and then the kid performs it. So it's one way to still see him, 
but he lets the kid do the heavy lifting. And I, like some people might think that's ridiculous, but I think that's smarter than him going out there and, and embarrassing himself, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I couldn't imagine a band like Kiss doing that. Like, yeah, Gene and Paul, they walk out and like, welcome everybody to the show. Tonight well, we're going to be telling you about. Now, this next song is, you know, a song called Strutter. And Paul wants to tell <laughs> well, him how you wrote it, you know? And then the, a band comes out and does the song. <laughs> I'd still see can, it. I'd still see it, though. I can see Kiss doing that with the hologram, though, with like a Dio style hologram. I mean, just imagine uh, like a, sh- a summer shed, and the stage is just one big giant hologram where they intro a song and they talk about it, and then you get to see, you know, they they talk about Strutter, but then you see footage from. You know, the the Winterland show or, or something like that with all the full lighting and with all the effects and, and shit behind it. I mean, I could see Kiss doing something like that. You know, as much as I don't like the whole Dio hologram thing, but for different reasons, I mean, it's ludicrous that you've got two lead singers plus a fucking hologram and you're only doing 50-minute shows is kind of a joke. But, I mean, the whole concept, if it's woven in there, you know, as as you're saying – you know, as a tribute or a way to go out and have it be like a, a big party, you know, um, I, I could see that happening or like a convention type thing. Like, uh, you know, may, maybe uh, Rock and Pod the Hologram can take a, <laughs> take place some year, you know, who knows? I've tried to negotiate with holograms and they have way too much, too many expectations. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, man. I guess for me on that question, I don't know, because I think as long as a band has got fans that still want to see them, why not keep going? Who's to say they should or shouldn't? Yeah. Yeah. I don't ever hold it against any band that's supposedly held on too long. You know, to me, as a Kiss fan, because it always comes back to Kiss, you know, even though it's, hey, bands besides Kiss, but... It's even even Kiss, you know, as as rough as it is. Even Def Leppard, I if I had to pick one, I'd say Def Leppard. But even at that, there's still a ton of people that go see Def Leppard whenever they they tour and they tour all the time, you know. So who am I to say they should, you know, retire? I don't I don't well, follow that. I'll, I'll say that Molly Cruz have stayed retired. That could be one of the. Uh positive outcomes out of this whole uh, coronavirus thing is that they don't end up getting back up on stage. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to say Motley Crue and much to the chagrin of a lot of people, I'd have to say Judas Priest. Um, and, and it's not because of, it's not because of KK. It's not because of Glenn being sick, whatnot. It's because of their stupid management and not knowing you know when when to pull the reins back and and when enough is enough and you know when you have priests rolling through and I don't know how it is in Nashville but in the New York area where they're playing five shows in like a, a span of like a little more than a year makes zero sense when back in the day they were coming around maybe once a year once every two years you know they're They've oversaturated themselves. They've oversaturated the market. They're playing the same shit over and over again. And and thank you, Ozzy Osbourne, for getting in Rob Halford's head and him catch you up on stage reading a teleprompter the whole time. So oh, wait, 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 wait. Now wow. I I saw them on this last tour, and mm-hmm. they were they played quite a few songs that they hadn't played in a while. Okay, quite a few is what three to four songs. 
I thought it was more than that. But I'm not an expert. It was my first time seeing them. But I followed okay. them. But the, the meat and potatoes of, of their 90-minute show, they're, they're playing uh, like the f- 70 minutes worth out of 90 minutes are all songs that they've been playing for the last 20 years, 25 I, years. So. I think this last, the la- at least the leg that I saw, I think it was more than, it was. they played more that they hadn't played on than that. Because they did, um, they did at least, I think they did at least two or three off of Firepower, and then okay. they did, they did, I want to, what's it, they, they did uh, Saints in Hell, they did... Uh, I love that song. Now, now of course, I'm going to blank on the other ones. They did... Um, the one from Turbo. Uh, Locked in? Parental guidance. No, hell no. <laughs> um, it was... Um, shit, I can't remember the name of the song. Out in the Cold. Um, That's and they pretty did, good They did like at least four or five songs you wouldn't have expected. I mean, it, they mixed it up more. But, it, I mean, that was one leg of the tour. I will agree with you that they've oversaturated the market because they do hit the same places a lot. And the show I saw was maybe a little over half sold. And that was in a venue that holds like 6,000 people. All right. So you saw them in May of last year? I think so. I couldn't tell you what month, but yeah, around that time. So they played Necromancer off of Firepower, Heading Out to the Highway, which they always play, The Sentinel, which they've been playing since the Epitaph Tour, Spectre, which is off of Firepower. Take These Chains, which is off of Turbo, if I'm not mistaken. No, that's off uh, Screaming for Vengeance. Okay, so I'm fucking that up. Judas is Rising, which they've played since that album came out. Out in the Cold, like you said. Trader's Gate is off the new one. Starbreaker yeah. is off of, what, Stained Class? Steel? Uh, All right. so, yeah, they played a lot that was that they hadn't played in a while. All right, so, so see, I'm man enough to say that I fucked up. They are. They have on this last tour played more songs than on the previous um, uh, tour. They've switched it up more. So I was wrong. You are right, Mister Sinzak. Nice. I apologize. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> this is what happens when you get super priest fans together. Yeah, I know. But 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 still, it kills me that he has to read. He's stuck in front of a fucking teleprompter the whole time. Yeah, but he still sounded great, though. I mean, he—I mean, he—he he was still hitting the high notes. He still hits the high note in "Victim of Changes," which shocked the hell out of me. So, so why not just sit up, put a fucking folding chair down in front, and just have him just sit there? Why <laughs> even bother putting the the fucking on or, or bringing the bike out? You know, yeah, just sit yeah, on the that, motorcycle the whole time. The yeah, guy, there you go. The guy has back problems and he's old. Give him a break. Dude, it has nothing to do with that. It's fucking Ozzy Osbourne's fault. Ozzy Osbourne in right after right after all the fight shit, right after he stopped doing fight and he and he started doing the Halford stuff when they were touring with Maiden, um <coughs> Ozzy Ozzy said to Halford, um how do you still play shows without a teleprompter? Aren't you scared? to uh to mess up the words of your own songs and he started using a teleprompter ever since it has nothing to do with his back i thought they had like all these back problems one has nothing to do with the other if if the back problems were were really an issue why would he wear a fucking 60 pound jacket on stage (laughs) okay well you admitted you were wrong on the set list i'll admit i'm i'm wrong on the teleprompter i still had a good time (laughs) (laughs) excellent that's all that counts all right whatever 
That's right. Get them competitive juices flowing. It'll only make for a better game show later. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Oh, here's another one that ties into that right there. Uh, Darren Faulkner asks, Motorhead or Priest? Can can, can it be uh, Motor Priest? <laughs> <laughs> That's that 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 for me is is hard. As as much as what I've said now, I just said it, I just mentioned it to Aaron off the air. I I love Priest still. I love their music. Firepower is one of the you know best albums that's come out in in quite a long time. Um, if I if I had to choose between both, I mean I love both bands for different things. Gun to my head, I'd probably have to choose Priest. Chris, I think that's probably an easy one for you. Priest, easy. Yeah, that's what I figured you'd say. Um, me? Oh, man, it's tough, man. I love Motorhead. I love Priest. I think I love Motorhead just a little bit more. I think I'd have to go with Motorhead if I had to choose. Yeah, I'm not discounting Motorhead. I like them, but I love Priest. Yeah. All right, here's one from Joseph Ciambelli, and he asks... Favorite quarantine metal CD, favorite quarantine Netflix binge show, and quarantine snack food. Hmm. Since these are the quarantine sessions, these are pertinent questions. Victor, what do you got? Um, well, I just watched, uh, it's not Netflix, it's Amazon Prime. I just watched um, season six of Bosch in two days. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be my quarantine series. Quarantine snack would be popcorn, which is the my choice whether we'd be in quarantine or not. And as far as album, um, well, I've been playing um, the album Shahili by Marath uh, quite a bit lately since I got it on vinyl recently. So I would say that. Not bad. What's Bosch? Um, it's about a, it's it's from a novel based on a character named Harry Bosch. Uh, he's a, a detective out in Los Angeles and done in um, on Amazon. The way that it's shot and everything, the character interaction, and everything else. I I really enjoy it's it's a show that, in my opinion, you know, when, when a show is good, it doesn't matter like what backdrop it has. It doesn't matter if it's you know, a cop show or if it's uh, a horror movie or whatever, if the characters are good and, you know, and you like the interaction within them or between them, um, you know, what, what, however you want to paint them, however you want to dress them up or whatever backdrop you want to give them is almost secondary because the characters just kind of suck you in. And that's kind of what happened to me. Right on. That's cool. Chris, what have you been doing in the quarantine? Uh... I don't know. It's a really not really a metal CD, but I mean, I this music stuff that I've been following. I got back into Massive Wagons again because they put a new single out. That's uh, they have a record coming out in July, um, which is great. The single's great. So of course I've gone back and listened to uh, Full Nelson, the last record they put out, and then uh, Buckethead put another uh, instrumental record out. Of course, probably one of ten records he'll put out this year. <laughs> Um, it was, uh, but it's really chilled out and mellow and it's almost like meditation music, but at, during these times, sometimes that comes in handy, uh, for Ben shows, uh, my wife and I finished Homeland, uh, we co- all these caught up on it and then, uh, Ozark has been the big one on Netflix. Uh, we just finished that series 
the end of season three is nuts. And then uh, we've moved on to a Showtime show called Billions that uh, we're now in a season. Yeah, we're now in a season two on that one and just getting back into it. Watched the first season a couple of years ago, and now we're picking back up on it. Um, for snack food, um, when I'm when I'm at work, probably ch- crackers with cheese in them. And uh, when I'm recording, uh, beer. <laughs> That's a snack. We snack on some beer. When, well, when, when you're stuck at home, beer is a snack. Yeah, and and with billions, uh, a ton of metal uh, and hard rock references on the show. <laughs> um, not only do Metallica appear on season one, oh. but um, as time goes on, you'll see things like uh, debates on what the best Rush album is. You'll see. Um, Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, Bobby Axelrod will, is wearing Megadeth and Black Sabbath t-shirts. Yeah, That's, um, I've yeah. seen that. I've noticed that. And then on, um, if you haven't checked out Ozark, when they get into season three, there's an REO Speedwagon sighting. <laughs> well, that's not something to bring up, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> they sound pretty good with auto-tune. <laughs> there you go. That's what about you, funny. Aaron? Um, let's see. I got my. I guess my top four albums that I've been listening to this last week – after the last two weeks, I pulled out Asylum by Kiss and been listening to that and have been appreciating it like everybody says I should. And uh, maybe a new appreciation for it even here this last week because, I'm, like I said, I'm in the process of putting albums onto my iPod. So I listen to each album and then I pick out the best songs I like the best, the ones I, I'm going to enjoy every time they come up and shuffle. And so I got to break down these albums, kind of study them, and really pick out the best of the best. And every song on Asylum makes it onto the iPod. Um, another one I've been listening to was Megadeth's Countdown to Extinction. I freaking love that album so much. Mm-hmm. So that much. on release day. I still remember it. There's not really a bad song on it either. And then I've been listening to King's X, um, the self-titled album. There's some really great cool. stuff on there, too. And that was about the same time King's X came out with the song Junior's Gone Wild on mm-hmm. the Bill and Ted soundtrack. And I freaking love that song, too. And I'm still jamming on the new Local H album, Lifers, which just came out. And every time I listen to it, I like it more. Like, the first time I rolled through it, I was like, eh, that's pretty cool. And the next time I listen to it, I'm like, man, that's pretty awesome. And the next time, now I'm, like, totally in love with the whole album, every song. I'm hooked. So I got to check that one out. As far as watching TV, I know Chris, you were talking about it the other day. I was watching some of that uh, Dark Side of the Ring. They had oh, the new so season good. come out. Man, that is pretty wild. Yeah, so well put together. I think my friend Jason said it the best. It's like unsolved mysteries for wrestling. Yeah, God, I watched that Von Erichs one the other day. And oh, isn't that like, depressing? Oh, my God. I was like, I can't believe that dude's still walking around. I would have killed yeah. myself years ago. <laughs> and and his kids are in it now, too. So now it's him and his kids that are, you know, are, are still part of it. So after everything, you know, he still hasn't given up. So that's that's, what, that's one of those things where, like, if my kids go, Dad, I want to be arrested. I'm like, hell no. <laughs> Look what happened. Watch this. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I think, the season finale is going to be Owen Hart. So we'll see. That should oh, be a wow. good one. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because nobody Kansas ever talks City. about that. Yep. The, the Blue Blazer. I'll never forget when that yep. happened. Never, never. I didn't watch the pay-per-view, but I watched Raw the next night, you know, and it was back oh, yeah. when the, the internet was still kind of a new thing, you know, but you could look up and find the results of stuff as it was happening. 
and uh-huh. got the news about it. And the next day, I watched Raw, and it was man, I I cried watching Raw that night. Yeah, I loved Owen Hart. I saw yeah. I saw several concerts in that same arena. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, Kemper, Kemper Arena in Kansas City. Th- that's been torn down since, hasn't it? Uh. Maybe. I mean, when I moved out of Kansas City in 2003, it was still there. I don't know if it still is. Though. Yeah, I th- I'm, could be wrong, often am, but I believe that uh, it's been torn down in the last few years. Wow. I wouldn't be surprised. It's it's in a horrible part of town. And then I guess for my snacks, uh, my wife just got some ruffle chips and some dip. I haven't had chips <laughs> and dips in a long time. I was kind of excited about that. And my go-to is always, I know it's no good for you, but I can't. I'm addicted. Fruit-flavored candy. I like nerds. I like gummy <laughs> bears. I like just fruit-flavored candy. Anything like that, man, I chew it up. I didn't know that about you. Yep. Skittles? Oh, I love Skittles, but yeah, my bad one is nerds. Especially, they call them yeah. big, crunchy nerds. And then there's also the nerds ropes. Do you remember nerds cereal? I, th- I do think I do. Yeah. yeah, I haven't thought about that in forever, but yeah, I do believe so. Yeah, I was out in the eighties. <laughs> I remember. That's, uh, I remember in the late eighties, yeah. you'd go to the Dairy Queen and get a Blizzard with Nerds in it. Yep. Yeah, Nerds were like the big deal back then. Yeah. I actually bought Nerds uh, at some point last year to introduce them to my kids. There's a store that uh, sells like U.S. products here. You got to order it, and they send it to you through the mail. And Nerds, Twizzlers, Jolly Ranchers. All that stuff, you know, good to rot your teeth, but also, you know, trying to give them some, uh, you know, American culture, some of the shit that we grew up on. So nice. Yeah. Jolly Ranchers are great. Yeah. Yep. Split a tooth on one of them. (laughs) (laughs) I pulled out a loose one with one one time. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) All right. Let's see what else we got in here. Let me see. Where are we at? What's the first thing you want to do when the country finally opens back up? That's from Nate Atchison. I want to go see live music. <laughs> I want to go hit some record stores and look for that some too. CDs. Man, I wish I wish my response was as cool as as the ones that you guys have. I've 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 got uh, tri- trivial shit like. Uh, like, like, go to go to my folks' house and make sure that I don't have any any squatter in there at my brother's house. Um, and that's more more of uh, you know, kind of take a, a a monkey off of my back. Um, if if it's something like that, um, I don't know. Well, now you come off looking more virtuous than Aaron and I. So yeah. I'm going to change my answer to I want to go visit family. <laughs> Well, oh, I thought I was um, we were going to change the answer to I want to go fight some squatters. <laughs> well, the other thing too is I'm sure you guys have cool record shops and stuff to go to. There's nothing like that even remotely here. So, no? yeah, we're lucky here in, in Tennessee. Well, there's 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 Amazon. There, that's about it. So, so are you <laughs> are you out in the country in Spain or do you live in a decent sized city? Um, no, I'm like the closest city to me is like 10 minutes away. I can, I used to be able to see it, uh, from a window in my attic, but they've since put up a, uh, a company that distributes feed for farm animals and their tower or whatever, their grain tower 
covers up the view now. But yeah, I mean, um, 10 minutes away from a city called Santander. If you have a Santander bank anywhere near you, the origins are here. So, hmm. but uh, plenty, plenty of uh, uh, cows, fresh smell of manure, um, uh, tractors going back and forth all day. I'll look out the window here and sometimes see a cow go by with a farmer pulling on it. So uh, my my town is a little bit more rural. We've got two ex- both extremes. We've got an industrial park and a lot of livestock. But no record shops. That's a bummer. No record shops. Uh, let's see. Josh Toomey, that kind of slides along with this. He asks, how do the local metal scenes differ in the States to the metal scene in Spain? What metal scene in Spain? Angeles and Yeah, well, here's, here's the thing. Okay. So when a lot of bands announce a European tour... It's usually a tour of the UK, Germany, and a few other cities sprinkled in between. Uh, it's it's it isn't that different from the states. I mean, in the sense that you know, uh, New York, LA, Chicago, Dallas get a ton of shows, but you know, how many how many bands go to Des Moines, Iowa, or how many bands go to you know um, Kenosha, Wisconsin, and you know stuff like that. It's uh, Unfortunately, most um, most shows come to Madrid and Barcelona. Uh, Madrid is like four hours away from me. Barcelona is like seven. Um, there are metal bands, uh, but as a whole, this country wants nothing to do with anything rock based at all. It's very heavily into pop music and 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 Spanish pop and I haven't listened to the radio here in close to 20 years. <laughs> so um, there is a metal scene. It's very underground, very snooty, very elitist. And um, it's um, there There are pockets, like you mentioned, Angelus Apatrida. There's other bands like... Um, um, well, there's th- there's a bunch of like instrumental metal metal bands that are signed by U.S. labels that are starting to get some coverage. Like Tundra is one of them. Uh, Horn of the Rhino is another one, but they're like they're like Mastodon but without vocals. Um, so I mean, there's there are bands that's it's just that it's it it doesn't compare to what it's like in the U.S. So so like when I think of Germany. A lot of times I think of the Scorpions. You know, that's like mm-hmm. the biggest band out of Germany. Does Spain have like a Scorpions? Do they have like what we would consider to be their highest rock band? They used to. I mean, there have been bands that have charted uh, in the UK and in Germany. There's uh, there's a band called... Um, uh, the, the translation is Red Baron in Spanish. It's Baron Rojo. They're um, they're like a, a classic heavy metal band. And I was mentioning this to some. Uh, my brother's slightly older than me, so he would come over to Spain before I would um, on vacation. And one year he came back with tapes by this band and by another uh, heavy metal band from here. 
And it just absolutely blew my mind. And it was one of these things like, wow, you know, there's music sung in Spanish that isn't absolute horse shit like the stuff that my folks listen to. <laughs> um, and uh, and it's funny because years later I found out that um, this band was so popular that they went to the UK to record. And lo and behold, in the same studio, there was a lead singer of a fledgling band called Samson who helped translate all of their lyrics into English. And on their English release, uh, they cover ACDC's Girls Got Rhythm. Um, that person that helped them translate the lyrics was Bruce Dickinson of wow, Iron Maiden. That's cool. Um, yeah. Um, and then there have been others. There, there was another band that um, uh, was uh, – I had a coworker who was from Germany and told me, you know, in, in the middle of like the 90s, this – this one specific rock band who actually Bob Ezrin produced their last album. They, um, they, they had like the number one album all over Europe, the number one rock album. And I remember him saying to me, you know, in Germany, it's either bands that sing in English or sing in German. There've never, there's never been a Spanish band that has ever made it big over here. And they were the first one. And they got back together, I guess about 10 years ago. And they played like, massive stadiums all over south america and, and a few here but i guess they made enough money to uh not need to play anymore so they've never played any more shows but um, unfortunately the the biggest biggest things that uh the biggest exports are probably things like uh, enrique iglesias and and his father and and shit like that and and when i say shit i don't mean stuff i mean literal shit <laughs> <laughs> We hear you, man. We hear you. <laughs> That's cool. All right, here's a good question from Gene Vogel. Who'd win in a fight, Paul Stanley or Gene Simmons? Ace challenges the winner. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I would have to think Paul Stanley because just on the – just on being more physically fit alone would probably beat up Gene, although I think Ace would mop the floor with either of them. <laughs> I'd say in their prime, definitely Ace could beat the other two. But I don't know. I think nowadays, I think I'd have to give it to Gene Simmons. I remember a couple of years ago at the Gene Simmons solo show where he was fully committed to walk through the crowd and up to the upper level to go fight somebody. Gene ain't afraid to throw down, I don't think. And he's bigger, and he's not afraid, and that gives him the advantage. He does have the size advantage. Yeah, but I th I think Paul intimidates G. I think uh, that would be one of those things where he he would be psyched out of the fight before it even took place. Um, Ace would probably I, I don't want to say the word lazy. I'm thinking of something else. Uh, he would probably be indisposed and wouldn't figure that fighting either one of them would would be worth his wild. <laughs> well, from from what all the rumors are, I think Peter Chris would beat all three of them up with his dick, <laughs> or at least his grandfather's. Yeah, <laughs> I just imagine Peter Chris walking through and going to Gene Simmons and give him the old "Oh, that's two for flinching." <laughs> well, do you guys uh, rem remember the movie Slapshot? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So uh, just think of uh, Paul's book and a combo of, of slap shot. Hey, Peter, what are you doing? We're putting the foil on, coach. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Oh, man, that's too funny. All right, here's one from James West. You know he wasn't going to miss the opportunity to ask a question. He says, what did you guys think of the newest Star Wars movie? I thought it was pretty decent. And what about The Last Jedi? I thought it was terrible. I know I you guys are both either. Star Wars fans, especially you, Victor. I haven't yeah. seen either either of them, so I'll bow out now. Really? Yeah, I, I've seen, I saw The Force Awakens, and I haven't seen any of the other ones. Wow. I was yeah, surprised um, at that. James, just so you know, I do do a podcast called Galaxy of Geeks, which is uh, uh-huh. based on uh, – this is my cheap Gene Simmons plug, by the way uh, – <laughs> where we do talk about Star Wars and and Marvel and DC and Game of Thrones and, and all that good stuff. Um, I absolutely loved both films. Uh, are they Empire Strikes Back? No, No. Um, but I think a lot of people in music and entertainment in general fall into the pitfall of unless a movie or an album is as good as album XYZ, uh, it's a wash up, it sucks, it's this, that, and the other thing. It's not Master of Puppets, so it's obviously not thrash. It's one of those things. Uh, You can enjoy something. It does not absolutely have to be the best. It's like saying, you know... Uh, if you're eating a, a plate of spaghetti, just because it's not as memorable as it was when you were eight years old doesn't mean that that bowl of spaghetti sucks. You can enjoy it, just not at the same level. Right. So, there you go. I agree with that, man, because I'm a Star Wars fan, too. I have been since I was a little kid, and I think there's no way that the new movies, no matter what they achieve or how they go about doing it, could ever be as good as the originals because of the nostalgic feelings you have for the original ones of being a Emotional connection. Exactly. But I like it all, man. I love the fact that... The whole story went full circle, and you know there was there was times in that movie theater where I thought I was going to start crying when I was watching that last movie because you become so emotionally invested in these characters since you were mm-hmm. a little kid that it's almost like they're a part of your life, and you know, and you're finally yeah. seeing the closure and how people die and things like that. I mean, there was a few times in that theater where it really got to me, and I looked over at my kid. You know, because he's into it, too, because he was brought up on it just as much as I had the VHSs laying around when he was little. You know, Uh so I look over at him and his eyes are all watery and he looks over at me and my eyes are all watery. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, man, I'm down with all the Star Wars. You know, I loved it since I was little. I had the action figures when I was a little kid. Love it. Yeah. One of the greatest stories ever told. Yeah, I often say to my wife when it's an end of a story like that, I always say, "Well, here's the, this is like saying goodbye to a good friend. If you're really attached to it and it emotionally connects with you, you know, you can obviously you can go back and watch it, but it's not the same, you know, as seeing it for the first time. It's you know, you can go back and watch your friends, um, you know, on VHS or you can listen to a, a podcast, uh, but it's not the same as the interaction you have with them in person. So that's kind of like what I'm getting at." Right. No, I can dig that for sure. All right. Uh, James West, believe it or not, he has another question. Ralph Vieira and I just did the Freeform Rock podcast yesterday, reviewing Van Halen, A Different Kind of Truth. It was pretty hilarious. I bet it was. What do you guys think about that album? I think I think James West is ingenious in his way of inserting a commercial <laughs> into the show <laughs> in the form of a question. But either That's- way... 
I love that album. I think it's awesome. I think it's an example of it's a rare example of a band coming back, you know, doing the big reunion, getting back in the studio, putting out the new album and it actually being as good or if not better than what you expected it to be. Yeah, I I have to agree with that. I think the only other album of a band from like that time period that's come back after so long and put something out like that was maybe Rat with Infestation, where it was like, okay, I was expecting this to be like an utter train wreck, and it actually wasn't. I really like A Different Kind of Truth. It, it really, as you said, Aaron, w- went above and beyond what I expected, and I still listen to uh, stuff off of that pretty frequently. And, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of bittersweet where it's like, shit, you know. Would have been cool if if they would have been able to put more out after, but it kind of is what it is. Yeah, I, boy, this, I have such great memories of when this record came out, and I, uh, I listened to this. I don't know how many times. I, I, it was one of those. It's a rare album where you can you listen to it from front to back, and then you just start over again. And this yeah. was one of those. And <laughs> I know they borrowed a lot from old demos that you know Van Halen fans had listened to from for over the years like there was a demo called ripley that became one of the songs on the record and then bullethead was an old demo from the 70s but i kind of like that because it, you know that, that it comes from a pure place so they got flack for that but i like the fact that they pulled on old material from the glory days yeah and i think it's it, like blood and fire uh, what an amazing song and the part david lee roth goes um you know told you i'd be back i mean like stuff like that is just you can't help but smile when you listen to it and it's just the whole album is amazing the the guitar playing on the song as if uh the little yeah. thing that that Eddie and and Wolfie do together on the solo is insane between a guitar player and a bass player Roth's vocals are great I don't know I don't care how many times it took him to get his takes uh <laughs> yeah. it's one of those records like the, like you said with Infestation from Rat this album by Van Halen and then Judas Priest Firepower it was like yeah Truth that, that truth that old old dogs could do new tricks that were really worth listening to. So, yeah, I the different kind of truth is one of the best Van Halen albums there is, and it's the it's the perfect successor to 1984. I think it picks up right where they left off. And I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago too, where we said if that is the last Van Halen album, that's not a bad way to go out. Not yeah. at all. Uh, and I, you know, I don't think it will be because. Much like Prince, I think we're gonna have fucking vaults galore once, once all is said and said and done with them. They they have to have so much shit. Whether it has vocals or not on it, we'll see. But um, that's uh, yeah, just what you just said. Even if nothing else comes out, that that was definitely a, a high note. One other thing that about that album is you know you think about like albums that remind you of a time and a place and. Another kind of truth is always the album that I associate with the beginning of the Decibel Geek podcast because they were all pretty close to the same time. And I remember that being kind of a big thing when we first got together and started doing this. So that's always an added plus for me because uh, the nostalgicness of it. That's funny that we're, we're getting nostalgic for 2012, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yep. It was eight years ago. All right, here's a kind of an interesting question from Grayson Galagos, and he wants to know, what is the weirdest thing you've seen in someone's home? Okay. Oh. Wow. I guess alligator in a kiddie pool. 
It's kind I of saw, a strange one. I was surprised at that. I saw a swordfish hung on a wall, but I don't know if that's really weird. But at least when I lived in Georgia as a child, it was weird. I don't know. What about you, Victor? Hmm. Um, a friend in my a friend of mine and her boyfriend had um, gone to Spencer's and gotten body paint and decided to hang it, hang the painting that they made up on the wall. Wait a minute. They got body paint and they made hung- a painting. Made a painting out of their bodies oh. uh, on paper, on long sheets of paper, then framed it and hung it up on on their wall. Hmm. Were they were they morbidly obese? Not really. I mean, uh, you can't saying. look at those paintings and tell that it's naked people. Yeah, right? you can tell it was. Oh, naked you can people, tell. Oh, okay, so you're like, <laughs> you're kind of like doing the stamping painting style. Yes. Not so I mean, around. you're you're looking at. <laughs> You know, you're looking at schlong and boobs as you're walking into okay. the uh, as, as as you're walking into uh, you know the living room. Oh wow! Yeah, that's kind of a cool question. It was the weirdest thing you've seen in somebody's <laughs> house? Yeah, I can't think of nothing too strange. I know it's the weirdest question we've gotten so far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this one comes from Andy Connors. Best and worst 80s rock pop star vanity movies. Thinking the jazz singer, One Trick Pony, Purple Rain, Hard to Hold, Light of Day, etc. Hmm. I only know Purple Rain. I don't know any of the other ones. Yeah, Light of Day is the only other one that I know. That's with Joan Jett and with uh, Michael J. Fox. Not a good Oh, yeah, movie. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not really 80s, but I would, uh, the one that I think that comes to mind right away is Strangeland that had D. Snyder starring in it. Yeah, he was as a Captain Howdy. Do you guys remember that one? Shit, yeah, that was an awesome movie. It was yeah, way never, never seen it. Oh, really? it's actually, it's entertaining. I mean, yeah, it is like a B movie, but, you know, when you consider when it came out, which was, I think, late 90s, early 2000s, it was pretty ahead of its time. Talking yeah, because about, it, was, know, it was about the internet killer. So yeah. the internet was mm-hmm. still kind of new a little bit at that time. So it was like introducing, you know, it's it's really a cool thing. It's like I wanted my kid to watch this when he became old enough to start getting on the internet because it really can show you <laughs> how things can go terribly wrong. So it was an awesome concept for its time. Yeah. Right. And he's he's a good villain in it. He's actually a pretty decent actor, I thought. I'd say definitely oh. the worst one would have to be the, uh, the Brett Michael movie. Oh god. The one that he wrote and directed and starred in. A letter from Death Row. That's the one. <laughs> Did you know there was a second one that he was in called um No Code of Conduct with him and Charlie Sheen? No, I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, you don't want to watch it, believe me. No, I rented the other one years ago when Netflix was a thing where they'd send the discs to your house for the more obscure movies. Yeah. And uh I'd got that because the wife, you know, loves her some Brett Michaels, you know, and I'm a Poison fan, so I want to check it out. Terrible, terrible movie. A couple of good songs on the soundtrack, though. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm trying to think because, you know... um, Did either of you guys see Monster Dog with Alice Cooper in the 80s? No, No, I didn't. I don't remember that one. It's not good, (laughs) but it's it's interesting to watch. (laughs) I I think that... I mean, like Purple Rain, I liked Light of Day. What little I remember of it, I don't think it was that bad. Um, 
I, I could slag Trick or Treat, but I absolutely love Ozzy and Gene Simmons in that. And yeah. the, the soundtrack is just beyond great. Yes. Um, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a B-horror film, but it's that's kind of like the uh, enchantment behind it, you know, similar to what you guys explained about Strangeland. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I have a good answer to that question. Did either of you guys see Shock 'em Dead? Shock 'em Dead. No. No, I don't think yeah. so. That sounds familiar though. It's like not even a it's not a B movie. It's more of like a Z movie, but <laughs> it's um it's got Michelangelo Badio in it. Um but he it's it it's him from the neck down and I'll tell you why. It's like the the movie the star of the movie was a guy named Stephen Quadros who was he's known now as kind of a like a commentator for UFC, but he was part of the L.A. scene, and he was a drummer in a band called Snow. This is really getting obscure. but um, Okay, that's how I know his name. Yeah, okay, he was in a, in a band called Snow in the early 80s or late 70s. But um, he's the star of the movie, and he plays this nerdy guy that works at like a hot dog stand. And he gets, I think the genie shows up, the genie in a bottle tells him he can be whatever he wants or something. And he decides he wants to be like a, a famous hair metal guitar player. I want to so, be in Nitro. Right. And that's so he he that's what he's his wish is. So, so of course he has this transformation, he has this ridiculous wig with long hair. And like anytime they show guitar playing parts, he changes his name to Angel and they show him as playing guitar. But anytime they show anything close up, it's Michelangelo Badio's hands on like the four neck guitar doing all the stuff with both hands. And, um, but it's a, like one of the worst horror movies ever made, but I still have a soft spot in my heart for it. <laughs> you would see it on USA network, like way late at night in the early nineties. Nice. Um, up all night. Yeah. Up all night <laughs> with Rhonda Shear. Rhonda Shear. I think I had a crush <laughs> on her too. Who was the guitarist in snow? Do you know that? In snow, I have no, I just know Stephen Quadros, and you know the guitarist oh, right. for sure. Was it Carlos Cavazo? Ding ding! Ah, wow, yeah. nice. This is what I'm up against when I have to come up with these damn trivia questions. <laughs> uh, two nerds with no life. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that that's that's actually funny. Someone the other day, we were, I was busting somebody's chops on wrestling stuff. And he says, how do you know all this shit? Uh, I said, because oh, I basically have no life. How about that? <laughs> I usually tell people, because I'm a student of the game. There you go. That's a, nice, that's a nicer way of saying I have no life. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, it sounds way cooler. <laughs> all right, Mighty K, Kristen Schimbeck asked the question, and she says it's probably been answered, and I'm sure it has. But how did the name Decibel Geek come about? I don't know if anybody's ever asked us that. Yeah, um, I don't know if we've talked. I, I got to think we've talked about it on. Well, I know at least people have come up and said, "What the hell does that mean?" Over the years. <laughs> well, I actually, I actually know the answer. Um, I was trying to think of. I was just trying to think of like, well, I'm a, a person that's a, a music nerd specifically for rock music, and then I thought, well, what about rock and roll geek? And I remember thinking that was a cool name, and then I'm like, of course. To do your due diligence, you have to do a Google search and see if there's something else using that name. And that's how I found Michael Butler's show, which was the Rock and Roll Geek show. And I was like, well, I can't, obviously, now I can't use that. And I kept thinking, well, 
heavy music, loud music, and I thought loud music, what's loud? Decibels are loud, so Decibel Geek, and that's how the name came to be. Yeah, when I came on board, it was already a thing. I was just, I didn't know, you know, it's like, okay, uh, whatever, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, but like, I should have said, day, are you married to that name? <laughs> yeah, well, to this day, people have trouble spelling decibel. Right. And like, it'll get spelled B-L-E instead of B-E-L. And like, I'm guilty as well. Like the first logo I came up with when I even put it up on Facebook said decibel with B-L-E. So somewhere there's a file of that but uh it's not i mean i i to this day i don't think it's the greatest name but it, it's caught on and it's stuck over the, all the years and to this day i still wish our show also was known as rock cox yeah i know <laughs> why couldn't we have gone with that <laughs> i i think me and ian wadley are the only two people that think that's a good name yeah i think it's amazing i wish if, if we could change our name now as much as ian has stolen from us over the years we could take a little something from him and steal his rock cox name yeah i also like the mass debate i still think both those names are great <laughs> That's uh, that, that that's uh, like the savage animal of podcast names. Exactly. Yeah, rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Rockcocks, we roll off your tongue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, let's change the subject. Jeff Reed's got a question for us. What is your favorite Cinderella album, and did you ever see them live? Man, that's a tough one. I like all Cinderella albums, but I guess... For me, because I actually had it on LP when I was a kid, and I got it when it was kind of new as a Christmas present or something, I, as much as I love Long Cold Winter and all the other ones, for me personally, I got to stick with Night Songs as my favorite. And I almost got to see them live one time, and they were supposed to be doing a show in Wausau, Wisconsin, but they ended up canceling because Tom Kiefer had something up with his voice. And that was the night that Hair of the Dog came and played instead. And they were supposed to be the opening band, but they ended up being the opening band and the main event that night. And they played and played and played and won over everybody that was there. Nobody really was too upset that Cinderella wasn't there because Hair of the Dog showed us such a good time. So the only time I almost got to see them was the night that I fell in love with a different band called Hair of the Dog. Did they say why they didn't show up? It was something to do with Tom Kiefer's voice, like his voice oh. had gone out or he was sick or something like that. Well, that probably would have been a Gary Corbett show, I'm assuming. Yeah, I suppose it would have been. Yeah. Um, I got to agree with Aaron. I, I think Night Songs is, to this day, my favorite. Long Cold Winter, I, I think, I guess got all the praise and the and the big you know hype because of the hits it had. But Night Songs, pound for pound, I think is still their best record. Uh, still Climbing, I have a soft spot for, but... Yeah. Uh, Night Song's still my favorite. Uh, I never saw them live. Wish I had. I've seen Tom Kiefer live a couple of times. Uh-huh. He's still great. But yeah, he uh, I saw The Naked Beggars with Jeff Labar and Eric Brittingham. Oh yeah, me but, too. Yeah, I've, I've never seen. Uh, I've never seen Cinderella live. Um, I would have to third the uh, Night Songs. Uh, similar deal to Aaron. I got that for my birthday the year it came out. I remember I got a new stereo. And the way that the light switch was in my room, um, it was a socket that you could flip on and off. And I went into my room, flipped the socket, waiting for the the light to go on. And all of a sudden, I hear the uh, the bell from the beginning of Night Songs. I'm like, what the hell? And I turn and look and see a new stereo and see Night Songs uh, <laughs> playing. So um, 
So, yeah, that's uh, front to back. I mean, there isn't a, a bad song on that, in my opinion. Um, and it's probably their their heaviest album out of all of them. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for me, and uh, I would say that, I've never gotten to see them live either. So, I also used to have a Night Songs t-shirt that I inherited from my older brother. Nice. Here we go. Yep. So it's unanimous. The answer is Night Songs. Night Songs. So anyone that says otherwise, they're wrong. The three of us said it's Night Songs. <laughs> All right. Here's a question from Aaron Philpot. He wants to know, uh, Revenge of the Nerds, part one or part two? Wow. That's I haven't seen one. that movie in years. Like, uh, since, since I watched it on VHS, it was probably too young that I shouldn't have been watching it. <laughs> Uh, I'll let Victor take the the first answer on this one. Yeah, I I actually saw two in the theaters. Um, so you were the one. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I would say I would say one is better. One is is definitely uh, much better. Was uh, a lot more indecent. Um, <laughs> two two was what you know was your typical eighties. Uh, let's cash in on the franchise sequel, which was a very watered down, like kind of cliche type of a deal where, you know, the studio didn't know or the studio wanted them to do something that was supposed to be hip and, and crazy and all that. And it just ended up sucking and like the main characters weren't even there. So, I mean, Anthony Edwards, who was one of the main characters who went on to be big in on ER, uh, shows up in the movie like a total of like five minutes you know it was just kind of a, a whole weird scenario so uh, i would go with one yeah i don't I even remember part two so i have to go with one but man what an iconic video from my childhood i say video because i know i watched it on vhs but i remember parts of it and i remember just like oh man i hope my parents don't come in here and see what i'm watching <laughs> yeah yeah oh my god then that's that's funny. That's that's something that I think about all the time when it relates to my kids and thinking, wow, you know, how many movies were out, you know, when when we were, you know, kids like Revenge of the Nerds or like Police Academy or stuff like that, where, you know, there were certain things that just absolutely no longer happen in movies anymore, where it's like, you know, uh, I realize the Internet kills a lot of this, but. You know, uh, back then that was like the only time that uh, uh, for for a lot of us, the only time you'd see females in bikinis or topless or, or things like that because we were too young for anything much more risque. So it was one of those things not to come off as a misogynistic bastard, but, uh, you know, one of those things where you're a young kid with hormones, you'd watch certain movies for some of that content. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, you you can't blame our generation for becoming perverted. When we're, when we're <laughs> watching the movies that we're we're watching, <laughs> Yeah, we're watching this movie, Porkies and shit like right? that. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, I All mean, I, obviously, obviously, Revenge of the Nerds Part One is the better movie, mm-hmm. but I mean, I you can't you can't take away the great musical performance at the end of Revenge of the Nerds Part Two. Nerds yeah, and, that's true. Okay. Nerds in Paradise. That was a pretty funny scene. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that one scene, there's not much redeemable in it. Booger's a little bit more funny in the second one than the first one. But um, but yeah, I mean, and who could forget John Goodman as the asshole football coach in part one? I mean, he was great in that movie. <laughs> 
All right, here's one from our good friend Coxie. That's right, Adam Cox over there running our Facebook page for us. You don't follow us on Facebook, you're missing out on something good over there. Give us a big old like and uh, follow the conversations and things that are happening over there. Lots of fun things all the time on the Facebook page. He wants to know, which album would you love to change the production on or would you love to have produced? I think that's easy for me. It's always going to be Motley Crue, Generation Swine. If I go back mm. in and be like, okay, you know, this is what you guys are doing here is wrong. We've got to change some <laughs> things. That would be an album I would definitely do it on. Yeah, and you would fire would... Vince Neil. <laughs> I just, no, I, I would just furlough him for an album <laughs> or maybe just well, lay him off and be like, okay, we're just going to set you set you out for this album. We're going to let John finish this one up, and then we come back with you know a new tattoo style album for you. But we got to finish this first, and you have no part in this. Well, what what would you have said to Tommy and Nikki with Rocket Ship and Brandon? There's no room on this album for these songs. You guys need to go back together and come back with something stronger. Remember, I'm the producer here. These guys need to listen to me. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree. You guys, any got any albums you'd love to change? I would. Um, I would want to be the producer of Black Sabbath's "Born Again," and there would be two rules of order. First one: cocaine is now banned from the studio because it clearly did not help this record. And secondly, Ian Gillen is being kicked to the curb, and we're going to hire Ronnie James Dio to come back and save this band. Oh man, well, how good that album! I and I don't hate the album, but I can't imagine I <laughs> how good that album would be with Ronnie James Dio singing it, and a lack of cocaine. Um, I don't know. That's the, I, I love a lot of the stuff off of that, uh, but I, I hear what you're saying with the production sound on that. For me, it would be a, a newer album that I detest, um, and it's by uh, I would I always say that I have a, a one A and one B. When it comes to favorite bands, uh, it's Kiss and Iron Maiden. I hate, with a passion, <laughs> Book of Stools. I knew uh, you were going to say that. <laughs> holy shit. Fucking Empire of the Clouds. Uh, point A. All right, assholes. You made fun of every fucking band that did overdubs and cut and pasted and did all this shit for years. And you're presenting this hot steaming turd to me? Or what about, you know, just, hey, we already heard this riff in fucking um, in Wicker Man. We heard this other part on Heaven Can Wait. We heard this other part uh, from the Clairvoyant. No, you don't need to regurgitate your shit. You're Iron fucking Maiden. Look at what Priest did with Firepower. Well, I realize that comes after, but it's one of those moments, one of those things where – you know, why Kevin Shirley should not be the, 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 the fucking producer for Iron Maiden? Because they need someone like a Martin Birch who was stern with them to say, this song does not need to be 13 and a half minutes long. You need to cut the middle out. This song could be done in three and a half minutes easily. All the great, the best parts of the song can be summed up in three minutes and change. And that album should not be a fucking quadruple vinyl, which it is. It should be a, a regular, you know, it, it should be under an hour and done. And they have it in them, but, you know, they don't have the right people around them to tell them, you know what, you're not a prog band. 
just because you meander doesn't make it prog. So, yeah. sorry. I hate the album. Hate it. But other than that, you have no thoughts on it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, I see what he's saying, though, because that was one I was really excited about when it came out, and I don't ever, ever go back to it. No, nah, me neither. I go back to for Firepower, as, but I don't go back to that. Yeah. For as much as people bitch about Final Frontier, for example, and there's a lot of filler on that, there's a song called Coming Home off of that, which is like four minutes long, which sounds like something that could have come out in the mid-'80s by them. And I was excited. I was like, all right, the rest of the album kind of, you know, it's kind of iffy. Maybe the next album can be kind of more like something like this. And and once I heard it, I was like, wow, no, this is this isn't why I got into Maiden. So um, I think one more that I'd add to that list before we move on to the last couple of questions is one that Ian had brought up the week of the quarantine sessions. And I. And he always talks about this band with such passion, and I I do like them, but I hadn't. There's a reason I don't like them, and I went back and gave them another chance, and it's the same thing, and it's that Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats. I freaking okay. love I love the music, man. I love it all, but the vocals are recorded so low in the mix that it kind of wrecks the song. So it's like either have a singer or don't have a singer. But don't put them in there so deep that you all it seems like is all it sounds like is like mumbling. And I really tried to give them another chance, and I couldn't do it. If I could reproduce that band, it'd be easy. I just slide up that one lever and put the vocalist up into the mix a little bit. Yeah, it's almost like they they wanted to say like, well, Planet Caravan by Black Sabbath. That's the vocal sound we want. <laughs> But worse. Yeah, their whole vibe is is that lo-fi thing. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's like seeing Tool in concert and having Maynard laying on his back. He often does behind the riser. It's like I want it. I'm here to see the four of you, not just three. Yep, you gotta have a complete thing. You guys got any other ones other than like hotter than hell? I was gonna say hotter than hell would be one. Uh, Hot in the shade by Kiss. I would. Yeah, I hot would in the record, shade. I would sure. record record like final versions of that because like what they put out were basically all the overdubs and obviously it would not be 15 songs if i were in charge <laughs> well that that would make me uh think about load and reload by metallica I, re- I really like load i think reload like sucks outside of like three or four songs i would have kind of combined both i mean you could argue about uh use your illusion one and two as well you know um Having having them kind of weed out some of the additional songs that uh, that were added there and make it just like one like super great album all the way through instead of two pretty good albums. If you had the master tapes to Metallica's Saint Anger, do you think you could save it? No, because I I don't think that the songs are complete even when they finalize finalize them. I mean, there's there's like germs of good ideas there, but. They didn't finish a lot of the songs. They're, they're, it's stuff where it's like half-baked ideas, in my opinion. Yeah. There's there's three three or four really good songs off of there, in my opinion, and the rest is is kind of what you're saying. Where and it's it's similar to what I said with Maiden at that point in time. Bob Rock was just being a yes man for them. He wasn't being objective with them, and he was happy to be playing bass on the album instead of saying, you know what. This chorus kind of sucks. You know what? We do need guitar solos on this. You know what? 
Um, go back to um, to Home Depot and return that paint can, Lars. Uh, get a real snare drum in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you'd have to reproduce it and re-record it in order to try to they, do something with it. I always liked the song Frantic, but that was like the only good song on the album to me. Yeah, I, I love the unknown feeling off of that. I really like that song. Um, the song Some Kind of Monster I like. I don't dislike the song St. Anger. Uh, they do an acoustic version of the song um, all within my hands, and when they do it acoustically, it sounds pretty cool. Um, but it, it kind of lends itself to what Chris just said. You know, they're cool songs that once they got to the studio, they kind of didn't, you know, finish them up. And it seems like when they do all within my hands live acoustically, it seems like they kind of like flesh that song out further. So it worked, works not only in an acoustic environment, but that it actually works and functions as a song. So, but I mean, they, I mean, like they, I mean, if you watch the movie, I mean, they, they clearly weren't in a headspace to do a right. great record. So, I mean, it's what they put out. I mean, the fact that they even put a record out at the time was kind of impressive, uh, but yeah. they they weren't in any position at the point to to really put out a great Metallica record. Now, whether you think that should have gotten released at all is a different story. But uh, you know, you're basically hearing a band going through turmoil at that time, yeah. and that that's the result of that record. I guess and any band that's been around for any length of time, they all have their music for the elder. Oh sure. <laughs> well, that would uh, for me for Metallica that would be Lulu. Wouldn't that? That's not really a Metallica record, no. though. Uh, well, I don't know. That's that's their their music underneath everything. That's uh, that's that that's your typical thing with guys that are big in metal that want to be uh, you know appreciated by the uh, artsy fartsy um, you know Rolling Stone and Spin and and all these magazines that don't give a fuck about hard rock or metal. And you know, I, I definitely think that was the band are more so Lars wanting to, uh, to be included in that conversation, you know? So, well, well, Lou Reed was involved in both albums. So that right. tells you something. I was going to say, that's exactly what kiss <laughs> was go. trying to do with the elder. We're trying to be accepted so, here by the wrong people. Go. That's a damn good question. Thanks, Coxie. Um, here's one that I thought I knew the answer to, but now that I, we've gotten this question and it's making me wonder, but it's, I got two KISS historians here with me, so this will be good. Uh, Darren Parkin wants to know, who played drums on the Alive 2 new songs on Side 4? Wasn't it Peter Chris? Uh, I, I've heard different things. I mean... It's like all the official channels say that it's Peter Chris. Eddie Kramer says it's Peter Chris. Gene Simmons says it's Peter Chris. I don't know, man. I mean, I could see him playing Larger Than Life. I could see him playing the other songs. But Rocket Ride, to me, does not sound like Peter Chris at all. It sounds more like either Anton Vig or somebody else. But I do not think the drum fills on Rocket Ride sound like Peter to me. I, I, don't, think he, I don't think he played Larger Than Life either. I th- I think Anton Fig was was more involved in that than than what they lead on to. But because... even even Anton says he wasn't in the picture at that time, though. That's the weirdest thing, because you yeah. think you would think he would be he would own up to it because he did for Dynasty and Unmasked. But right. he 
even he says he didn't he wasn't involved but if it wasn't anton i still think it was somebody else yeah the, the, because peter peter was not a bonham like player even <laughs> even in their heyday if if you really listen to them or really listen to him playing he's he's got a swing you know that jazz swing type feel to it i mean as as a kid growing up and wanting to play drums there's such a difference in in the playing on larger than life than there is to uh than there is with anything else during that era before him you know eric carr was more of a john bonham-esque like player who who could have you know played that perfectly but you know i've i've always thought that you know once i started to find out about ghost players and whatnot uh, i've always assumed that that wasn't him i mean i don't know who who played on the um because on Love Gun, there's shit that um, that he doesn't play on. On the title track, he doesn't play on. If I'm not mistaken, it's uh, isn't it the demo that uh, that um, that Paul brought into the studio, and they just more or less kept his parts and just had uh, Ace overdub, you know, the solo and and mm, no, they do I, the vocals. No, I think I think Peter played on Love Gun. I don't think I don't think that's up for for question. But I could be wrong. And how hard is it for a drummer like Peter Chris say, you know, he is known for his swing style, but he is still a proficient drummer. Why can't a drummer play outside his style? You know, and because I just think at this point, everybody knows what Anton Figgs played on, even though he it was a secret for all them years. And everybody knows what Bob Kulix played on, which was a secret for all the years. And the same thing with the Lick It Up album. All these little secrets that weren't supposed to be known at the time of the new releases have all come out over the years. If it was somebody else playing on these albums, I kind of think it would have come out by now. Well, I, and I think you're probably right. I mean, it's it's a weird thing, but Rocket Ride is the wild card because Rocket Ride's got these the the fills in Rocket Ride and, of course, the little drum outro on it does not sound like Peter to me. But mm-hmm. and you bring up Bob Kulik. Even Bob Kulik has said it's Peter Chris. So, I mean... I mean, if that many people say it's Peter Chris, I have to take them at their word. It's got to be him. It doesn't sound like him to me, but maybe it is him. <laughs> Why would all those the, people lie? Uh, well, uh, I'm I'm wondering if you know we're talking about all the, all the other albums. Imagine that there was some sort of an NDA in place where whoever actually played on it can't say that they played on it. You know, who knows? But even after all these years. Yeah, I mean it. It depends. Imagine if it was somebody that was, you know, pretty like fairly Alex well Van known, Alex Van Halen and... or somebody. Maybe it was Don Poncher from Lenny and the Squigtones. <laughs> Had you, you got to be an ultimate kiss nerd to get that, Joe. Well, Aaron just brought up a really good fucking point. What if it was Alex Van Halen? Ooh. That I mean, would be that would explain why, you know, everyone would be sworn to secrecy because at the time, not only is that something that you wouldn't want to get out because you don't want people not to think it's Peter Chris, but on the other hand of that, at that point, you know, Van Halen's, I think, already signed, I'm sure. And so it would be like a breach kind of thing for, you know how they do it where a, a, somebody that appears on another album that really doesn't have the permission, kind of like uh, mm-hmm. Shandy's Addiction on the Kiss My Ass album, yeah. you know, where they disguise it and they don't tell you who it really is. But if that's the case, I mean, that would be the one that kind of makes sense. Oh, that would be something. Imagine Alex Van Halen 
played on Rocket Ride, that would be a pretty amazing revelation if it came out. Or larger than life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what you were asking before, Aaron, as a drummer, an Anton Fig, Anton Fig is, is a very versatile drummer that can play a lot of different styles. Yeah. Peter Chris is not. Peter Chris, in at the height of his playing, was around um, was around yeah, around rock and roll over around there. You know that was that was his style, what he was doing. And if you really want to, if you really want to get into the minutia of it all, um, larger than life sounds nothing like what what he was playing. You know, it's it's almost like. It, it's almost like taking um, something that Steve I shredded on in the studio and saying, nope, it was Ace. We absolutely swear it was Ace. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just not his style. You know, I, I don't see him being able to pull that off. Well, I but hey, the maybe, maybe there was something – Maybe there was something extra in the in the mix of the China that day. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> wow, Pete, that was amazing. How did you do that? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but I got the sniffles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you've you've got the whiskers painted on in white today. How'd you do that? <laughs> huh? You went from a silver-nosed tomcat to a white-nosed tomcat. How is that? Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. All right. Only got a couple more. And these are, uh, I guess, environmentally linked questions. But uh, let's see. How will COVID affect the Epic Universe Park? Canceled, pushed back a year, or downsized? And that's from Scott Gould. And I have no idea what Epic Universe Park is. I, I had to look it up. It's like a... Universal Studios theme park that's being opened in Florida, but I don't know much else other than Universal Studios has a ton of money. So, I mean, I guess it probably would get pushed back. I can't imagine it would get canceled, but Victor, have you heard of this park? I have not. Um, but, I mean, if if Disney's closed and, they, and Universal has their other parks closed, I would imagine that that's going to get pushed back as well. Yeah. yeah. At least, just like everything else. Yeah, everything's yep. pushed back. And then question for our good friend Stephen Michael. He wants to know, once the pandemic is over, how do you think the live music experience will forever be changed? Just like 9-11, changes happened that forever changed our lives. This will be no different. Changes will happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about that kind of thing like where it's like someday I might be telling my grandkids, you know, when we were kids, we actually went to concerts without wearing hazmat suits. Can you believe that? <laughs> Where, you know, it's like things happen over time that eventually the changes become a part of a normal thing where once you're past a certain generation, you don't realize, hey, back when they were kids, they didn't have to do this. Or, you know, boy, this changed at some point, and now everybody has to do it this way. I wonder about stuff like that. Well, our... Our mutual friend Mitch Lafon shared an interesting. There's like a Photoshop of a Kiss concert that where somebody took the Kiss on stage, and then they 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 took out the seats and they put like cars from like a drive-in movie theater in front of it. He said, "Is this is this what concerts of the future are going to look like?" And I know it's kind of a joke, but you know maybe that's the future. I don't know. I think I think all three of us would agree that we we have no idea what the future holds, and um, 
I don't know. I mean, I want to be optimistic, and I'm going to continue to be optimistic that we're going to move past this stuff, and eventually we are going to get back to concerts with people being in close capacity. But I mean, we're in a, we're we're really not in any position to say one way or the other. Um, I know that our normal is going to be different when this is all over, but uh, to what extent I couldn't tell you. And obviously if you know me, you know, I'm, I'm a promoter and I do live events. So I'm following it just like anyone else is. And I'm certainly trying to stay optimistic about things, but who knows? I mean, this could the whole this whole thing could be completely upside down before the end is over. I, I really couldn't tell you. I hope at the end of it all, it just ends up when you look back at it and be like, oh, that's when everybody started washing their hands all the time. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, it kind of freaks me out because it's like, were you people not washing your hands before? What the fuck? Right. A lot of people weren't, <laughs> man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if, you know, um, outside of you know a certain podcast host that I, that I know of that kind of told me the contrary the other day but uh um i could see people you know for for the next few years going out in public with masks and 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 rubber gloves and stuff you know to the supermarket and stuff like that or to shows uh or, or sporting events you know I, I that wouldn't surprise me because i think this is going to have a lasting effect on people not knowing, you know, this kind of crept up on everyone, sort of, kind of. Um, and I think people are going to be overly cautious moving forward. Yeah. Who's that, who's, who's that podcaster I'm talking about, Chris? I'm guessing it's Mark Striegel. Uh, <laughs> is he part of this conversation? Uh, is it Mitch LaFont? <laughs> is it Harry Belafonte? I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> Oh boy, I I I know of a certain uh, uh, a podcaster who who uh, who goes food shopping without uh, any type of uh, mask or gloves or anything else. <laughs> You're talking about me? Yes, I am. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> yeah, I'm the asshole. Um, mostly because I I don't have a mask. I need to get I need to fashion one or figure something out. Because like I went, I actually went yesterday, and I was like, "Oh, I feel like a real dick right now." And I'm not doing it because I'm being like on, un, you know, unfeeling. I just, I've just been lazy. You unfeeling bastard! Yeah, you. Jesus, man. Right. Even I've been wearing the mask and the gloves inside the grocery store and the Home Depot when I was working. You know, so I know I felt weird because I'd be in the Home Depot and I have I have one mask, so I have to keep rewearing it. But I save it in my car just, and I don't wear it nowhere else except for situations like that. But I feel funny because you pull up to the Home Depot or whatever, you I put on my mask and I got my work gloves that I always put on, and I go on inside, and it's like I'm the only one wearing a mask in here, and everybody's looking at me like I'm weird, and I'm like, am I the only one that sees what's going on on the news and shit? You know? Yeah. I no, just I, I I told that dude that day, man. I'd rather be safe than sick. You know, I might look yep. like an idiot, but at least I'm hopefully, you know, reducing my chances of catching something. And I I've gotten the message. I'm going to take steps. I've just I just haven't gotten to, gotten my shit together. Yeah, because even more than that, you know, they're saying that you can have it and not have symptoms of it, so you could be spreading it. Or I don't know. It's a mess. Yeah. I like to just forget about shit like that and concentrate on the hottest game show in the world. This is the game show that goes to 11. Is everybody ready 
for Beat the Geek. Well, let's hope I do better against Victor than I did against Sonny. I hope so, man. This can't be a reoccurring thing. I mean, you got to win the majority of these. That's the thing. Because if you start losing all the time, it's going to take away the fun to beat the geek, and we're going to have to stop doing it. So you need to turn this shit around today. That's well, I'm glad talk. there's no pressure. That's your pep talk. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You guys ready? Yeah. All right, you know how it goes. Got 11 questions, all hard rock and metal related, all the way from back in the day up to yesterday. All random order. You're always going to have a chance to to bet against your opponent. Chris gets the first question since he is the geek that is to be beaten. Vic, are you ready? Sure. All right, Chris, here's your first question. Do not answer until asked. In 1970, Steven Tyler's band Chain Reaction played a show in Boston, sharing the bill with a band that included Joe Perry, Tom Hamilton, and Joey Kramer. What was the name of that band? Victor, you think he knows it? I think he knows it. He thinks he knows it. You got the faith in him. Chris, your choices are Magic Moment, Jam Band, Merge Left, or Boob Tube. Damn. Give me the choices again. Magic Moment, Jam Band, Merge Left, Boob Tube. Sucks. I'm usually good at Aerosmith trivia. I'll say Merge Left. That is incorrect. Damn. The name of the band that Joe Perry was in was the creatively named Jam Band. Oh, wow. (laughs) Vic, did you know it? Um, to be honest, no, when you said it, but once you rattled them off, I figured it would have been Jam Band. It just seemed like, uh, it seemed like a shit name in comparison to the other three. I'm like, it's gotta be that. They're all shit names. What? I made (laughs) up all those names. Come on. All right. Well, Vic did not bet against you. You got it wrong. So no points for nobody. And we go on to question two. This one goes to Victor. According to SickThingsUK.com, which of the following is not the name of a snake associated with Alice Cooper? Chris, I know you know your Alice Cooper. Do you think Vic knows it? I'm going to say he doesn't know it. All right, Vic. These are snake names. One of them is not real. The rest of them have all been associated with Alice Cooper. Those names are Lady Macbeth. Kachina, Big Bertha, and Yvonne. Um, I'm going to say the one that is not uh, is the last one. Yvonne? Yeah. Yvonne actually is the name of one of Alice Cooper's snakes, as well as okay. Kachina and Lady Macbeth, the yeah, one I made Big up. Big Bertha. Big Bertha. Chris, you knew that, didn't you? I did. All right. So, Chris did not bet against Vic. Vic did not get the question right. So, again, no points for nobody. No, wait a minute. I said he did not know that one. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) So, you did bet against him. Yes. So, Chris, you actually get a point. All right. All right. See, I need a beautiful assistant to help me with shit like that. You got one probably in the next room. Yeah, but she don't want nothing to do with this mess. <laughs> All right, that brings us up to question number three. One point on the board so far in the favor of Chris. 
Are you ready for your question? Yes. One of the following does not belong. Full-length studio albums by S.O.D. Victor, do you think Chris knows his S.O.D. albums? Um, no. Victor is betting against you, Chris. Your choices are Fist Banging Maniacs, Rise of the Infidels, Speak English or Die, Bigger Than the Devil. Three of them are. One of them is not. Which is not the S.O.D. album? Give me a, one more time. Fist Banging Maniacs, Rise of the Infidels, Speak English or Die, and Bigger Than the Devil. Fist Banging Maniacs. That is correct. Fist Banging Maniacs is not an S.O.D. album. Victor bet against you, and you got the question right. That's two points for Chris. Brings it up three to nothing. All right, Victor, your question. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Time to bring it back. Since 1993, the band Mushroom Head has gone through at least 20 different lineup changes. Who is the one person who has been the constant? Chris, do you think Victor knows the answer to this? I'm trying to think if Victor would know Mushroom Head's history. Um, I'm going to bet against him on this one. All right, Chris is betting against you. Victor, your choices are guitarist J.J. Righteous, vocalist Jeffrey Hatrix, vocalist Waylon Revis, or drummer Skinny Felton. Do you the know drummer. your mushroom head? The drummer. That is correct. The drummer Skinny Felton was the guy, the one guy who's been in the band since 1993 is the drummer. So, Vic, you got it right, and Chris Chris bet against you. So now that brings the score back two to three, Chris ahead by one. Oh, damn. Nice. <laughs> Bringing it back with the mushroom head. All right, we're up to question number five. This one goes to Chris. No One Like You was the lead single from which Scorpions album? Victor, does Chris know the answer to this one? Yes. All right, Chris, your choices are Love Drive, Animal Magnetism, Love at First Sting, and Blackout. Uh, that was Blackout. That is correct. Victor did not bet against you, so you get one point. Now it is four to two, Chris. And it's Victor's question. On the UFO album No Heavy Petting, it features which animal on the cover art? Chris, does Victor know his UFO album art? I'm going to say Victor knows this one. All right, Victor, your choices are for no heavy petting. Was it a dog, a monkey, a tiger, or a falcon? Monkey. That is correct. Since Chris did not bet against you, you get a point. You're still down by one. The score, three to four. Chris still in the lead. All right. Next question goes to Chris. One of the following does not belong. Slayer soundtrack appearances. Victor, you think Chris knows his Slayer soundtrack appearances? No. All right. He's betting against you, Chris. Your choices are Dracula 2000, Less Than Zero, Scream, and Gremlins 2. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, 
Hmm. This is going to be a total guess. I'll say Scream. That is correct. Uh, Slayer has appeared on all those other soundtracks. So you got a point for getting it right, and Victor bet against you. The score is now 6-3. to Wow. Didn't think I'd get that one. But guess what? If you heard that sound, you know that it's time, oh yeah, for the kiss round. Are you guys ready for the kiss round? Always. Double the points. It's all on the line now, Victor. These are important because this could put you right back into contention with Chris, even though you're down by three points. Your question is first, and I try to make these tough because I know you guys are kiss nerds. When Jackie Fox auditioned to play bass for The Runaways, there was only one song that they were all familiar enough with to jam on. It was a Kiss song. Which one was it? Chris, do you think Vic knows the answer to this? Uh, I'll say yes. All right, Victor. Chris is not betting against you. Your choices are Strutter, Deuce, Rock and Roll All Night, and Firehouse. They played Strutter. That is correct. Chris did not vote against you, bet against you, so you get a point. So that makes it four to six. Nice one, Victor. I thought that was a tough question. Chris, you knew that I, one too, huh? Well, I thought it was going to be Do You Love Me because Kim Fowley co-wrote it. Ah. Oh, I didn't think about that. I should have put that in there as one of the choices. Should have put King of the Nighttime World as well. Yeah, yeah. Those, both of them. Would that have thrown you off or would you have known it either way? No, I, I, I figured it was uh, Strutter because that's the song they had the Donna's cover on the Detroit Rock City soundtrack. So I figured that was the connection. Nice. Mm. I never put that connection together. I don't know if there is, but you sure got it right. I, I got that because I was watching Edge Play because, <laughs> Chris, you recommended Edge Play. So I watched it and that came up on there and I was like, yes, that's a kiss question. It's a great documentary, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right. It's your turn in the kiss round, Chris. Oh, wait, Victor, you got that right, and it's double points, so you get two points instead of just one. Yeah. See, now you're only down by one point. All right, Chris, your question in the KISS round. In 1982, KISS filmed a club show that was broadcast via satellite to the San Reno Festival in Italy. What famous New York City venue hosted the concert? Victor, does he know his history when it comes to this? Um, I will say no. Oh, he's batting against you in the in the in the kiss round. Big points on the line here, Chris. Your choices are CBGB, Studio Fifty Four, the Palladium, or Limelight. Oh, Victor, you shouldn't have bet against me on this one. That's uh, Studio Fifty Four. That is correct. So, Victor bet against you. That'd be a point. You got the question right. That'd be two points. It's the kiss round, so you just went up by four points. That wasn't the Palladium? Nope, it was, was Studio 54. Okay, that's what I'm getting mixed up. All right. Wow, that changes things right there. Chris is ahead now 10 to 5. Kiss round makes a big difference as we go into our 10th question, and this one goes to Victor. This 1967 album is the first in the world to be advertised on a billboard. Chris, do you think he knows his music history from 1967? Um, I'll say no. 
All right, Victor, he's betting against you. The first album to be advertised on a billboard, was it The Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, The Monkees, Headquarters, Cream, Disraeli Gears, or The Doors' self-titled debut? That's a tough one. 64, you said, right? 67. 67. Um... Sergeant Peppers, Headquarters, Disraeli Gears, or The Doors? Um, I'm going to guess Sergeant Peppers. That is incorrect. The first album to ever in the entire world be advertised on a billboard was the self-titled debut from The Doors. I knew that one. So Victor didn't get it right, but Chris bet there's against st- him, so Chris gets another There's still point. my kryptonite. <laughs> All right, and the final question, number 11. This one goes back to the man who is standing up and showing his worth here today, Chris Sinzak. One of these does not belong. Bands formed in 1989. Victor, you might as well go ahead and bet against them. Yeah, well, uh, uh, yeah, sure, I'll bet against them. (laughs) This this is is like... um, I'm I'm in I'm in a wrestling match with Danny Davis officiating here. I, I got the all, all the softballs for the, for the other host, but that's cool. I'm fine. Oh Ooh. no, these are all at random. <laughs> okay. Bands formed in '89. Your choices are Damn Yankees, Fear Factory, Winger, and Slaughter. Which one isn't? Which one was not formed in 1989? It's got to be Winger, right? That is correct. Winger was formed in 87. You get the point there. Chris wins a score of 12 to 5. Way to bring Thank it you. back. Thank you, Danny Davis. Man, I don't like <laughs> accusations like that because I'm not trying to make it easy for Chris. <laughs> he didn't make it easy for me last week. I was going to say, ask that. Sonny Pooney. <laughs> See, Sonny so, Sun, Sunny Pooney was... was uh, you need to investigate. See what kind of uh, uh, PayPal donations happened in in the last uh, week or two between <laughs> between the show hosts. I'll Welcome to Beat the Geek, got. where the host is also the judge and can be bought. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. This fucker knows that uh, Cooper isn't one of my biggest things that i've been into so that's an easy one for him the sod question was a fucking softball so it, it, I, I thought i was part of a mitch lafon uh, interview there for a second <laughs> oh shit that's fine well, actually that's kind of kind of the way i try to line it up is like you know i know chris knows a lot about alice cooper so i try to kind of keep those questions for his opponents and then i figured you knew the sod so easy but i didn't think chris would so i try to give him stuff like that so i do kind of try to stack it to make it difficult for everybody the sod the sod was a total guess on my part believe me see so he might have guessed wrong but i thought you know one everybody's gonna know speak english or die but does everybody know the other two not probably necessarily in most cases but the third one might actually be an ep uh, Rise of the Infidels, I think, is an EP. It's it's all. It only has like one or two new songs on it. The rest well, of it's. I only old thought. Stuff. Hmm. I only didn't guess that because Rise of the Infidels sounds like something that Billy Milano would have come up with. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's essentially it because the band was done by then, and they 
had to like fulfill shit and that and uh what the hell's the other album there's something the um oh seasoning the obese is the other one and that's <laughs> another compilation oh, i don't even know about that one but i gotta yeah, hand I it to you man you got the mushroom head question right i know there's no way chris would have got that one. Oh, absolutely not yeah <laughs> i thought it was their bass player and then i was like all right rhythm section it's gotta be uh gotta be i'm confusing drummer with bassist yeah See, and that's the way it works with this. That's why you get the four choices at the end because then, you know, it can do one of two things. You go into the question thinking you know the answer and then the the choices mess you up or you have no idea and you can kind of figure it out based on the choices. So it's it's a multifaceted thing I've created here in this trivia game show that's been done a hundred million different ways. Aaron is trying to make us all feel like we're back in high school again. <laughs> if, you're oh. a, if you're a horrible t- test taker, take oh. this. Remember what it was like. That's okay. right. But as creator of the Podcast Kings Tournament, you're wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you you don't want me bringing out the nuclear artillery again, do you? Remember oh, I- there was... I do not. (laughs) (laughs) Too funny. Awesome. Hey, before we get out of here, I got a question, and I want to know if you guys have heard this because I've been kind of checking in on this. Is Enough's Enough back together? Are Chip and Donnie doing something together again? Well, actually, Donnie's supposed to go on Stefan Adika's show tomorrow, so I'm going to watch that for sure. But I saw Donnie posted a thing saying that the the war is basically over yeah. between him and him and Chip. So we'll see what happens. Mm. It, 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 I'm definitely following it. Man, that would be awesome because I think I saw something that the drummer that they worked on that produced the album Dissonance was working on something that appeared to be a new track featuring both Chip and Donnie. Really? Yeah. I didn't hear that. Oh, that's great. So I well, asked my, know, my inside secret Enough's Enough Ninja what was going on, and I said, <laughs> you know, is Don Chip and Donnie working together again, or is Enough's Enough getting back together? And all he would tell me is kind of, and it's going to be awesome. So wow. whatever it is, it should be interesting. Hmm. And did you, did you ask them if Eddie Trunk put them back together again? No, actually, I didn't because I already know that Chris Sinzak put them back together. Well, I, I've been in touch with Chip about trying to get both of them to play at Rockin' Pod next year. And Chip came back and he said, I'm always willing to listen to offers. Let me know what you think. Come hmm. on. Come on, little brother. This is our chance to be a special guest at Rocket Pod. you got to come back. Well, I... In real in realistic terms, I doubt I could afford it, but I'm trying to I'm trying what I can. Man, that would be so cool. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, next year is the 30th anniversary of Strength, so I'm thinking play together at the pre party the night before, then do a live on stage albums unleashed with Aaron and I for the 30th anniversary of Strength. Shit. Yeah, I'm down for that. Anytime, anywhere. Yeah, I think it would be fun. I'd wear a surgical mask for that shit. <laughs> we, we all might be wearing one. Yeah, and and we won't be trying to uh, to to join the cosplay to be uh, uh, Prince's keyboard player either. I was gonna say the whole room is just gonna look like the cover of that Rainbow album that you used for the artwork for this week's episode. <laughs> there you go. Difficult uh, to cure. Yeah, I thought difficult to cure seemed like a the perfectly appropriate 
thing to use for the artwork. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun, man. I, that's what I like. I said this is what I like about the quarantine sessions. It's just hang out with some of our friends. I wish we had the time to release a podcast every day so we could have every single one of our other friends that do podcasts come on with us. So you know. Hopefully the COVID nineteen never goes away, and we just get to keep doing this forever. <laughs> well, I, I I will say that thanks to the pandemic, I was welcomed back on Decibel Geek five years later. But oh. uh, you know who's counting? We got to do another one. We got to do another one. Yeah, okay, whenever you guys want. The quarantine <laughs> has been lifted. <laughs> we came through. We came through eventually, right? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm like. I'm like Haley's Comet. I'll be back in 2025. Nice. <laughs> but if you've if you've checked out the Rock and Pod website, NashvilleRockandPodExpo.com, that's the result of the great work of Victor Ruiz. Uh, so he, like he's he's definitely been a huge cog in in helping Rock and Pod move forward. So I got to give you thanks publicly on that. Well, I appreciate that, and I also, so you don't forget, I did help you with the Decibel Geek I was about, as well. I was about to say that. So if you like DecibelGeek.com, check, <laughs> check, out, check out Victor's work on that as well. Victor's been an awesome yeah. friend of ours and a really great helper of ours for many, many, many years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I enjoy being uh you know part of the behind the scenes stuff and uh, i I may come off as a dick or abrasive to some people but you know it's all it all comes from a from a good place uh i i think anyway i i've always tried to fight the for the decibel geek uh cause and you know i've always considered you guys uh friends from the beginning so shit yeah well man i appreciate you i know everybody does we all love you around here vic you know you got you got to you got to plug your shows man don't forget about that um mars attacks um just released a, a bunch of new episodes uh we'll be interviewing someone tomorrow we'll be doing a bunch of stuff over the next few weeks with that uh galaxy of geeks uh thanks to the quarantine we've been doing live streams every thursdays wow. at 6 p.m uh, Eastern. Uh, if you just look for Galaxy of Geeks group on on Facebook, join that, and you can um, check those live streams out and be a part of it. If not, we're releasing the episodes in uh, audio format. And the other thing that I do regularly, which which I try to um, promote in the, um, the podcasters group that you started up, Chris, is the um, I'm the co-host of the uh, Mark Striegel podcast. Um, I pretty much do all the Patreon stuff for Mark Striegel and um, help him out with TalkingRock.net. And uh, basically, uh, you know, that show is just me and Mark just uh, shooting the shit about music. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people love the uh, Radio Sucks Radio type stuff that you guys do. Uh, I post videos regularly on that Patreon feed and uh, and when I mean regularly, you're getting four videos a day between new videos from bands, classic um, videos, asking people if a song is classic or not, or if a cover works or not. Uh, two bucks a month for that, and uh, and yeah, and that's it. That's Patreon forward slash Talking Metal. So 
that's that. That's everything I got to plug. That's cool. It actually reminds me that I just released, well, I, I sent him to Rock and Ron, and he released them for me, but I just released episode 104 and 105 of the Chris and Aaron show on Patreon. Oh, cool. That's so, awesome. if you guys love the Patreon, if you if you can't get enough Decibel Geek, if you can't get enough of Victor Ruiz, there's ways on Patreon to get more of what you need. Just look into it. And also, go back to our um, talk with Victor about the Anthrax discography, the yeah. John Bush years. That was fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely one of the funnest things I've ever done for sure. Nice. Yeah, still one of my favorite shows too. All right, well, this has been a lot of fun today. You know, you guys, again, are making the quarantine as enjoyable as possible. So, Vic, thanks for coming on with us again, man. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody else, I guess we'll see you next week. See ya. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.